Hello, and welcome to Chatty AF, the anime feminist podcast. I'm Dee Hogan, a writer and editor for Anifem. I also run the anime blog, The Jose Next Door, and you can find me on Twitter at Jose Next Door. Hey, I'm Bri Kaiser. I'm a contributor and editor at Anime Feminist. I run a blog called Fashionable Tinfoil Accessories, and I write all over the internet. You can find me on Twitter at WriterVry, or at the, pod- uh, at the Twitter for my other podcast that I host, at TrashPod. Hi, I'm Caitlin. I'm an editor and writer for Anime Feminist, and I also have the blog uh, Heroin Problem, Heroin with an E. Uh, and my Twitter is all soon underscore no dare. And today we're heading into the home stretch of our watch along of the 1990s shoujo fantasy Fushigi Yugi. This week's podcast covers episodes 41 through 46, where everything happens. Uh, Miyaka arrives in Syro. Uh, she meets three geriatric celestial warriors. Yui summons Seryu. Multiple people die. And to top things off, Miyaka, Yui, and Tamahome end up back in the real world. As that summary suggests, the plot is back, the supporting cast has returned, and we're out of the Badlands just like we promised. <sighs> uh, but that doesn't mean we don't have to wade through some bullshit along the way. Um, the good news is most of the bullshit is front-loaded into the first episode of this stretch, um, which is my segue into the first episode of this stretch, where Miyaka and Tamahome are pretty infuriating. And we basically begin with the warriors reaching Syro and Tamahome immediately breaking up with Miyaka and not telling her why. Because we needed more of this bullshit. Yeah. Like, hey, Tamahome, remember how pissed off you were when Miyaka tried to break up with you without, for like, no reason out of nowhere? Why are you doing the same thing to her? Literally exactly the same thing. But mine's different because dad told me to. And I'm also immediately, like, kind of slobbering over another girl. That, uh, fucking... It was bad enough that we have to contrive another reason to keep them apart for a little bit longer so you can have the big reunion that's dramatic. But also, you, Watase, not all women be competing. Shifang is hands down the worst part of this, of this like one episode stretch, because I think there are some genuine, like sort of reality poking its head in, in terms of like, we're trying to date each other over, over two realities basically. And one of us might be fictional. Um, <laughs> Just me. Like, I, like there's, there's a genuine like issue there that these, that these characters do need to work through. Um, I mean, maybe listen, Tamahome could there, talk to Miyaka. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it, it's the ultimate long distance relationship. Uh, and, you know, like, obviously Tamahome should talk to her, which is super infuriating. And he's kind of an asshole to her um, throughout this episode, um, which we can talk about a little bit later. Uh, but, yeah, Shifang is 100% the worst part of this because... She serves no purpose as, other than well, to make Miyaka jealous. Yeah, she is she is DTF and uh, has no personality or point to the story other than just forced drama. Like, she just vanishes. She has no character once it's become, once it becomes clear after, like, an episode that... Tamahome clearly still loves Miyaka and isn't going to just, like, quit. She can cook Um, better. She's better at being a girl. God, and they have that obnoxious scene in the kitchen where they're, like, sort of cattily um, sniping at each other um, over Tamahome, even though Shifang has hung out with him for, like, I guess a day. Um, And, well, like, and like Vry said, it's that, and the thing about Fushigi Yugi is, the stuff with Miyaka and Yui 
feels like it is attempting to push back against this women be competing idea. Like they're being kind of forced into, Miyaka is being forced into the situation she hates. She doesn't want to compete with Yui, even though like everyone tells her she has to at every turn, like even back home when they were studying for exams. Right. So the, so I think this, there's a part of the series that is dealing with that, that trope um, in kind of a semi-critical way, I think. Um, but then Shifang shows up and it's, that's, it's just that it is just women be competing. Uh, and it's, it's really egregious. Um, and, and then, uh, I know this is a little bit further further down and we're going semi-chronologically, but then there's another disposable woman who just exists in the background. I, I find the Empress very infuriating in a, in a minor oh, way. Uh, we will absolutely be. get to Rebound Empress because I do <laughs> want to talk about that um, once once we get there, for sure. Um, but I do, but for now, we'll just we'll just focus on, on some of this, again, the early bullshit, yeah, as I, yeah, as I no, lovingly fair. refer right. to it. Um, and it's, it's frustrating too, because like, ultimately it really doesn't amount to anything. Like, um, I think Tomahome having this sort of, this sort of crisis where he finds out about these, uh, about this Biako warrior situation where the priestess couldn't be with the one she loved. Like, I think them realizing that is a good, is like a worthwhile plot point. Um, it's just the fact that they, they just, they keep passing the, uh, bad communication ball back and forth and Tamahome is an ass. Ugh. Right. There's a way for uh, this to be a problem for these characters in their relationship without arbitrarily making them not talk to each other. Yeah. Which you'd think at this point they would be passed because as Caitlin pointed out, this, this shit has happened before and they don't like it when it happens. So they should stop doing it. And Tamahome does. I mean, I guess I'll give him some credit. He does, like, when he finds Miyaka again, he's like, look, I'm sorry, that was stupid of me. I should have told you what was going on. Um, let's let's work this out kind of thing. But but say that from the beginning, dude. I think, like, there, there's interesting ways to do sort of characters realizing that there's this huge obstacle to the relationship coming down the line that could be, like, it could basically amount to a time limit and yeah. then they spend, you know, facing a reality where they are spending their lives separated from the person they love. Like, mm -hmm. I think there's a way to do that effect and have it be really effective. Yeah, like, I agree. Um, when that's well done, that's actually honestly, honestly, like one of my favorite sort of like tragic romance tropes. Mm -hmm. But this is just like the way they do it is really like, first of all, the way Tamahome handles it is really mm -hmm. eye rolly, and it gets really um. Uh, sort of pushed aside mm -hmm. and also one of the things that gets me and this is sort of one of the things that has sort of it sort of soured me against Fushigi Yugi for a long time was mm -hmm. sort of the way they romanticize it um, you know spending your entire life longing for the one person decades spending hundred uh, like over a hundred years longing for this one person yeah. that you loved. Tatra hung out in that shrine for mm -hmm. 90 years. Uh, yeah. Like, and we'll, we'll talk. We'll, and we'll, yeah, I'm sure we'll, you know what? We can go ahead and get into part of that now. I think that's, I think this is a good moment to talk about that. Well, and then on the flip side, Susano does move on with her life. Like she marries somebody else and has a kid. Yeah. Um, and, but we're, it's kind of, it's kind of this, uh, it's, it's the same problem I have with the, anime version of paradise kiss which is a whole different ra rabbit hole where where like <laughs> yes another partner does exist uh we never see them yeah like you don't oh, it doesn't feel like yeah. suzuno has moved on even though she has clearly like lived to marry and reproduce like it it doesn't feel like that because 
she and Tatara were reun- you know reunited after life and it's so romantic um fuck her husband i guess and also yeah, her descendants like, yeah like like her her kids are watching just like wait what about dad <laughs> yeah i feel i feel bad for i feel bad for dad i mean pres- one would hope they had a they had a a good supportive marriage um but I mean, you figure what the the time period they would have gotten married was like the '30s, so it totally could have been an arranged marriage. Like, yeah. and, and I mean, there's some. Like, I guess it tracks with like, for example, I, I've read a lot about um, um, l- women who come out later in life as as lesbians after they feel like they've done their duty of of getting married and raising a family. So, I, mm-hmm. so I guess that that's a mindset that you know would could be uh, ex- just an expected romance trope. I mean, and but also like um, just sort of the the, it's going back to first love is the best most purest love, yeah. Um, and the person you fall in love with when you're 15 is the person that you're destined to be with forever. Um, that is a perpetual. That is a perpetual annoyance for me, um, and mm-hmm. I've kind of just had to learn to kind of accept it because a lot of fiction works with that trope and a lot of stories I like work with it and so as it's annoying and there are just days where I have to go well okay yeah <laughs> it's just it that is one of the things that I can like almost like pinpoint like this is something that made me make choices in my life that mm-hmm. I probably shouldn't have you know like I understand what you mean yeah, yeah that sense of like romanticizing that like one true love and not you know you can only love one really love one person and it's not uh it, it's very mm-hmm. damaging um for a lot of reasons but yeah i mean it can yeah and, uh, like that like that one line where she's like there won't be high school for me and i'm like no oh. you know what's so you know what really frustrates me about that is initially miyaka decides to live in the book world um one kind of on a spur of a moment emotional decision but two because there she doesn't think there's any way tamahome can come back to her world um, first of all, I did like that Tamahome basically says, okay, if Miyaka can't live here, I'll just find a way to live at her, in her place. That's fine. Um, so there is, there is a kind of a balance there where it's like, they're both willing to give something up for each other. Um, but then, but then that doesn't really like Miyaka doesn't think, oh, hey, Tamahome is in my world now. I don't have to live in the book forever. Like she yeah. never really right. considers that option, which is, uh, very mm-hmm. frustrating to me right. that Tamahome she wouldn't even think dead. it. Yeah, Tomohomi doesn't isn't really leaving. I mean, like they, I understand them wanting to get back, and we're jumping ahead a little bit. It's fine. Um, <laughs> I understand them wanting to get back to the book at that moment in time because they feel like they've deserted their friends in the middle of a war. Yeah, and they don't want to abandon them. They sort of um, need so to I, to take care under- of that business. Yeah, so I understand the focus there of like, no, we need to go back and we need to, you know, help help resolve this, however it gets resolved, because we don't want to just like be like sorry guys have fun take all the responsibility we out here making out mm-hmm. um so <laughs> i uh so i i get it at that moment but the fact that there is not even a consideration on miyaka's part of like oh hey tamahome is here so we could live here this is an option he seems down for this option uh is is frustrating to me that because because as we talked about a few weeks ago like the idea of her just of the woman giving up everything is very common mm-hmm and the fact that the series doesn't seem to be challenging that at all is um, frustrating. I think it's a it's a bummer, especially when like all things. If if the plot, the writing of the plot overarching, weren't so frustrating, Tamahome as a character has really grown a lot. Mm-hmm. It's just yeah. that all of 
just it's just that there's all this bullshit mm-hmm. yeah and i think i mean miyaka has as a character i think has grown a lot too except oh, yeah. for when the plot calls for her to make the same dumb mistakes definitely she just loves, like she running just off on her own on again her own. yeah I and think- yeah that's actually i just have that as a note and then the word again is in all caps yeah. and you can you can feel the rage <laughs> from my computer screen um, the only benefit to that is she does get to slap Nakago. Which is um, good. I, I, yeah, I did like it. I was like, do it again. But on the <laughs> other hand, uh, Chirika does get killed. Yeah. Yes. And we, let's put a pin in that. I do want to get to, I, we're going to get to that, but I want to kind of talk about some other stuff before mm-hmm. we do. Yeah. Um, um, well, one more thing on the, on, on Miyaka and Tabahoe before we, we talk mm-hmm. about is I think what I find frustrating about them is I really crave stories that, that have the couple get together early on and then spend the rest of the story working out issues in mm-hmm. their relationship as it develops and this feels like it should be that but then the what the manufactured drama all of it in its various forms seems to be seems to exist to force them to come back to these major culminations that are equivalent to the the big first love confession or big first moment over and over yeah. again rather yeah. than the more mundane mature less exciting developments that an actual yeah, relationship would have into a more kind of comfortable rhythm with each other. Uh, I do agree with that. It's, it, it does very much feel like what I say is pretty sure there's only one way you can generate drama um, yeah. or interest or just, just conflict in general um, between a couple. And that is to keep like ripping them apart for reasons um, usually involving poor communication. Yeah. And that's pretty, uh, that's pretty uh, uh, common in shoujo manga. I think um, there was a lot of stories where all of the tension is based on like, um, you know, they get, they can't get together or they do get together. They can't communicate or they want, one of them wants to have sex and the other one doesn't want to have sex or they do want to have sex, but they can't have sex for some reason. Mm-hmm. And like, that is the main conflict of probably like. 50 to 60 percent of the shoujo manga that i've been reading if not more this is yeah, making me miss a lot mars. of shoujo manga lately oh god mars but that is completely off topic mm-hmm. <laughs> um yeah it's I, I yeah it is very much a it is very much a shoujo thing one of the things that and i don't know this may be completely accidental but there's a lot of little lines in these two episodes that kind of made the bullshit bearable for me mm-hmm. because it almost felt like the characters were becoming aware of their own bullshit right. <laughs> um yeah i think I know well tessia Tetsuya calls it a trend. He's like, this is just like a trendy drama. And I'm like, it is, Tetsuya. You are correct. <laughs> um, Tamahome makes, I have a couple of lines kind of uh, uh, noted here. Uh, Tamahome makes a line about how we just keep missing each other. Like, why are we always missing each other? Yeah. Uh, Miyaka notes that she runs off on her own without thinking. And then Nakago, damn him, I actually agreed with him. When Miyaka runs off on her own into the temple and he runs into her, he, he's like, you just lack the ability to learn, don't you? Yeah. And that's like... very much how I felt. Like, he's being an asshole. Fuck you knock ago but that was very much how i felt at that moment too i'm like come on miyaka you should know by now this does not end well yeah and it's like because and like i said i feel like it's kind of inconsistent characterization because i feel like a lot of this show has been sort of her learning to accept her responsibility and grow into her role as the priestess but then she just fuck like every time like they need a plot beat to happen she just fucking goes and runs off and it's like miyaka okay you have two choices here stop running running the fuck off because every time you do someone gets killed yeah. or uh learn how to defend yourself um because you are 
a completely helpless baby, like, which is, you know, I'm not going to fault you for it. You're a 15 year old girl from modern day Japan. Like, it's yeah. totally normal that you don't know how to fight. But, like, you've been there for months. You can learn how to do, like, how to, like, poke someone with a knife. Like, well, just... and she technically has the sword that she never carries with her. She just leaves it in their luggage all the time. <sighs> um, but, well, and it's like, if the character, if a character makes a conscious decision to say, you know, I, um, if that's just not, like, if Miyaka does not want to be a fighter, I, I'm not, I don't want to fault her for that, but then you put, you make sure you put yourself in situations where you're not going to need to fight your way. Yeah, you have to stop running off on your own. Yeah, and I kind of get, like, when she first sees Yui and Nakago, I kind of, I get the impulse there of, like, I should figure out, I should see where they're going. But then she gets to the temple, and I'm like, okay, this would be a good time to rendezvous with your pals and explain to them what's going on. And she doesn't. She just runs into the temple and uh, naturally gets captured because Nakago can sense life forces. Um, because Nakago has, con like, completely convenient powers. He's convenient so, space he's powers. so overpowered. <sighs> and I... <laughs> okay, I wasn't gonna talk about Nakago till later. Do we want to? No, let's let's wait. We'll talk about <laughs> Nakago later. But yeah, yes. he is he is ridiculously <sighs> he is frustratingly overpowered, um, and it becomes more and more and it it starts to get really bad. I think this stretch of episodes when you and I, on the one hand, I do kind of like the concept of a hero team who are just like just completely outclassed. Like mm -hmm. they're not none of them are particularly well trained. I mean, they're talented, but they're not. Um, the Seri Warriors are significantly better than them. Um, yeah, and I think that I think that's an I think that's an interesting idea because I don't think you see that in fiction all that often. Um, usually, there's a it's a little bit more evenly balanced, um, and so it kind of forces the characters to find ways around. Like they can't just face people head on, um, but it also ends up leading mm -hmm. to this sense of like Nakago can just do everything. I guess. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, and it's it's severely tainted by the fact I think like knowing that Nakago is Watase's favorite character it starts to reap significantly yeah. of bullshit. The the amount that she likes him is like I I think as a writer like you do have to have a certain kind of fondness for your terrible villains. Um Absolutely. I, think I think that's part of writing. Um but yeah, the amount of affection she has for him is uh a little it, it starts like reading the reading the author's notes it starts to get a little eye rolly at times. It's like, come on, you know he's awful, right? Like he's absolutely terrible. Yeah, like Again, um, I always sorry. like the terrible characters and I cannot stand this fucker. Like oh. no amount of tragic childhood trauma uh which will excuse that. Yeah, and um, I shit. Okay, you know what? Uh screw it. Let's just talk about it now. Um <laughs> Yeah, let's, let's the talk uh Nakago. So, yeah, this is the week where, like, I mean, obviously we talked last week about how there's really no way that you can make Nakago sympathetic. Um, and somewhere, this is the arc where there are a few characters in fiction where they come on screen at a certain point. My index, my middle finger just, like, flips at the television <laughs> reflexively. Um, somewhere between Nakago hurting my boy and his whole uh, dance, puppets dance speech when he's, like, <sighs> facing off with Miyaka and Tamahome. Uh, that's the moment where it's like, and middle finger's up, and it's just going to be up every time you talk. I really don't give a damn about your backstory, Nakago. Um, like, which well, like, we... Oh, God, the whole moment of, like, why do you... Really? Now you're asking about his motivations now when we have a dozen episodes till the end of the series? I don't care. Yeah, yeah. like, you fucking burned all those bridges. There, there's no why to it. 
Yeah, and I mean, like, I get the I get the curiosity of like, why the hell would you be helping the country that exterminated your people? I understand the 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 bafflement that is in that question, but the fact that it comes up now, mm-hmm. yeah. Uh, for the character, yes. For the narrative, this is a this is poorly paced. It, yeah, but this is decision. this is this is the first hint we get of Nakago having uh, perhaps a a tragic backstory. Um, certainly, his his people, the Heen tribe, have been were wiped out 14 years ago. So, um, oh. yeah, it's real late in the game, but it's there. Also, um, did you forget that he's an evil bisexual? He's an evil bisexual. God, oh yeah, yeah, him kissing Tamahome. Oh um, yeah, when just when to he fuck says... with him, basically. When Soy's like, why do you never take off your heart's armor for me? He's like, there's only one person who I would want to stand by like that. It's like, I think that you're supposed to think the answer is Yui, but my brain immediately immediately went to Tamahome. He has this, he has this, like, and again, it is kind of, it, his interest in Tamahome feels more like kind of this, look at this sweet, naive kid. I want to destroy him. Does that make mm-hmm. sense? Yeah. Yes, but, it's also. Um, it's very icky. Uh, yeah. Well, and also the fact that Nakago is probably like 30 and Tamahome is 17. He's 25, I think. Um, yeah. But yeah, I mean, there's, there's, 20s. there's still a decent age gap between them. A- um, an age gap specifically at a very important maturity juncture. Yes. Uh, Nakago Truth. is a goddamn adult and Tamahome is a child. He's, yeah, I mean, he's had to grow up pretty fast, but I, I know what you mean yeah. when you say that, for sure. All of this aside of the fact that also Nakago is terrible. And again, I'm a very large fan of Hannibal. I'm here for murder husbands, but he doesn't deserve this shit. Nakago sucks, and he's terribly written. <laughs> well, Nakago's not, there's nothing, like, he's not a charismatic villain. Um, he's, his da- the, fa- the reason that he is dangerous comes almost exclusively from the fact that he is dealing with teenagers. Mm-hmm. Um... Does that make sense? Like, yeah, he, no, because it does. Of the, because of the situation and time that he met Yui, that's where a lot of his danger comes from, is because now she is um, very dependent on him um, because he's gaslighted her into believing that she can't trust anybody else. Yeah, and he's, re- he's really good at, like, manipulating vulnerable people. Mm-hmm. Um, and I mean, like, even Soy is... Uh, it is implied through flashbacks in these episodes that she was, uh, was, you know, she was abused and now she's like totally devoted to Nakago who is, you know, is like, couldn't give less of a shit about her. Um, you know, so he's just sort of someone who like finds vulnerable, vulnerable people and uses them to his advantage. And he's just shit. Like he just, like, I I don't have anything more eloquent to say about it off the top of my head. He's just a garbage man. I think like, it I think it doesn't help that his mo his because he's kind of effective as a villain in that first season, but he's oh, effective he's, as wait. a force of nature, not as a yeah, exactly. character with flaws and motivation. So now they're now it's trying to make us feel bad. Like, oh no, he might regret that he lost his toy. Because she died. I don't care. You're not a character who, like, you are a force oh, when for a character. Sacrifices to herself to. for him. Uh huh. Yeah, and, and he carries the body yeah. instead of discarding it. Yeah, and it's like, I don't And he has I this kind care. of, like, shocked moment when she jumps in front of the sword, and it's like, you, you really have not done enough here to get me to, to it's not really earned. buy into this. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, like, we don't know, we know so little about Soy. 
And I wish we knew more. Cause yeah. Because I feel like mm-hmm. I, I could have liked her as a character if she had more to her than just um, lightning powers and obsessively in love with Nakugo. Right. Like, she, yeah. She plays there, so hard into the evil sexy woman trope mm-hmm. for so much of her screen time that than this. Like well, the and then she where... and then she becomes the and then she becomes sympathetic woman because she devoted herself entirely to a man who didn't give a shit about her. Yeah. Um, so she and ends then... up being like completely. Her character is defined entirely by her relationship to Nakago. Yes, and it's like there are hints at an interesting character there, cause, like the moment where um, she tells Miyako where Tamahome is, um, mm-hmm. even though like they she. Them dying would have been completely to her advantage as a Seryu warrior. Like, there was something, like, interesting. There was a hint at a psychologically com- complex character right at that moment. But mm-hmm. there's, you know, um, she, they just sort of leave that behind. And it's all, like, her just wanting Nakaka to love her. Yeah, the, Soy is the bones of a character type that I really, really like, but she's just mm-hmm. not well developed. Mm-hmm. No, you. Oh, I. Most of the villains, I think, don't get. Um, with the with the semi exception of the twins, most of the villains don't get developed early enough or in depth enough for you to really care about them. So, um, or they're just there. There is a light novel evil. that. Yeah, or they're just straight up evil, and they're they're just they're just cackling bad guys, and that's that is the end of them. Um. So, uh, okay, so before we, so one thing I do want to say about these kind of early episodes as we slide into the Syro arc uh, well and truly is that in spite of, in spite of the frustrating bullshit in the early going, um, there, there are some like, it, it's kind of made bearable by the fact that A, the supporting cast is back, thank God. Yay! Um, the boys are back in town. The boys are back in town, <laughs> and that allows them to it allows them to have characters kind of play off each other a little bit better. Um, you get these moments, you know, you you get some moments where Miyaka can kind of have like a slapsticky moment with Chichiri, and then Hotohori shows up again, and I was I kind of thought she'd go ah and throw the mirror and break it. Um, <laughs> Hotohori is decent for the first um, time. There is so this this arc I um, the last couple of stretches of episodes this one and the one following I remember mostly for like the dramatic action beats um and i forget that there's still some pretty good jokes in here um i have to say the part where they're where uh the byaka warrior tokaki uh, is seriously talking to tamahome and then is like there's something else i must tell you that wood is rotten you shouldn't lean on it <laughs> and the balcony collapses and tamahome falls over like got a full belly laugh out of me because i had completely forgotten that scene was there um, that... and moments like that i think really i think help with the story and again it's because tamahome and Miyaka have other people they can bounce off of um and it gives you some some breathers from the uh from the the relationship mm-hmm. drama and uh, Toski, sweet Toski, oh, actually calls Tamahome out on his shit, which oh. you need characters like that. Like um, again, I miss Noriko, and I'm glad, but I am glad that Toski is able to kind of step in and be like, "Dude, why aren't you talking to her? What's going on?" He's such a good boy. He's stop such being a, a dick. Boy. Yeah, he's very good. Um, so yeah, I think that helps. And his and boyfriend speaking... comes back, which is nice. Yes, <laughs> yes, yes. Toski's boyfriend is back. His um... boyfriend's back. <laughs> hey, <laughs> how many how many ridiculous musical uh, references can I make? <laughs> at least at least one per episode. Um, and you know, keep 
keep the number coming, Caitlin. I, I approve. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, Koji, Koji returns um, to help fight in the war because he and Toski are the best ship in the entire show. Uh, so that's great. Um, well, they are now. I'm sorry, okay. I'm still very sad. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, so I mean, speaking of supporting characters, there's another one who's back, um, and we also have this time around some Biaka warriors. Yay! So I figured Yay. we could talk about them. We've kind of already talked about Tata and Suzuno. Um, although uh, I do one thing I do want to say that I thought was really interesting uh, is I was reading the manga, mm-hmm. and while watching it, and uh, it's very different. Because all the stuff with Keisuke and Tetsuya, like, sleuthing around, uh, trying to figure out what's going on with the past uh, priestesses, Mm -hmm. that does not get shown in the manga. Uh, It happens because when Miyaka gets back to the real world, uh, uh, Keisuke basically just sits her down and, like, just info dumps for, like, two pages of the manga on her. Mm -hmm. There's a bunch of big speech bubbles where he kind of talks about what they did. Uh, so that is so the fact that they wove that in, I think, was a good choice. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. I want to know um, what's going on with the oddly informed taxi driver. What's his anime like? <laughs> he's a he's a he's an anime original character, and he's fascinating. Right. <laughs> um, let's have let's let's give him a spinoff light novel. Uh, and the other thing is the the big like dramatic like Tata and Suzuno reunited in death, and their ghosts like hang out together is anime original as well. Mm. Okay, um, I wondered, because while I was watching that bit, I was like, no, oh, I bet this is interesting in Genbu Kaiden. Well, no, that's, uh, Genbu Kaiden's the different priestess. Yeah, uh, right, right. This, oh, is, okay. this is the Byako priestess. They are, Watase, I believe, is currently writing the Byako. Yeah! Arc, which she said she was eventually going to do. I am, I really need Shoujo Beat to license it, and then I want to read the crap out of it, because I'm curious to see how she, how she, uh, develops that story. Yeah. Well, and then we I, finally have all the priestesses. Yeah, because I really enjoyed the, um... Byako characters. Well, I love. I enjoyed well, Subaru. I and- love Subaru. I was, this is yeah. This is kind of what I wanted to talk like, about with these with these characters specifically. Subaru. It seems very cool. Yeah. Uh, she. I. I like that she has. She doesn't get a lot of screen time, but I like that she has a little bit of a kind of a mentor relationship with Miyaka off and on. Um, I would have liked and- more of that. It was very good. Yeah, and then when they decide to age themselves down, when he's like, age me down, she's like, you ain't doing this alone. He's like, yeah, I couldn't talk you out of it anyway. And I'm like, you seem neat. I like you, Subaru. Mm-hmm. Uh, on the other hand, Tokaki Tamahome's master is a crappy, pervy old man trope, and mm. it's, I don't like it. No. I, don't, I, don't, I don't care for Tokaki. I mean, I don't know. For some reason, I was warmer on him than I usually am on these sorts of characters. I, mm-hmm. It's not something that I can easily explain. Um, but, like, I think it'll be really cool seeing these characters sort of in their, in, in their own story. Mm-hmm. And for some reason, I was thinking about it, um, cause in, you know, all of these, all of the ones we've had their full stories told, um, it was mostly the warriors falling in love with the priestess, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and I would honestly, like... I would like to see uh, a, a story where it's not all about the warriors falling in love with the priestess, like two of the warriors themselves fall in love. Um, oh, yeah. Because, yeah, because... That, that is a good point. You don't, you Tokaki, don't see that in the... Mm-hmm. Well, spoiler alert, you don't see that in Genbu Kaiden either. Yeah, because, um, yeah, Tokaki and... Because the, there is one female warrior in uh, Genbu, and she's awesome, but mm-hmm. she's not... Uh, it's not not a romantic 
lead sort of character for a variety of reasons. Um, but like, yeah, like, you know, have seeing sort of Tokaki and Subaru, um, seeing their story, I think will be interesting. Um, because that is something them having something in their lives does that does not just center around the priestess. So yeah, bring on Byako, uh, Byako Ibun. Yeah, I agree. I'm I'm excited for that. Okay, so as we move forward in the narrative, I guess we're I guess we're to the part where we talk about Chiriko and Miboshi. I guess uh, I have one I have one thing about Miboshi. Um, my friend and I call him the floating baby. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, and that's that's all I got. I'm like, why did you put a baby in charge of your temple? Temple. This seems like a mistake, Cyro. Uh, and that's that's all I have on Miboshi. He doesn't have a character. He possesses people. That's that's his yeah. Character. He seems like a bad dude. And he's uh, yeah, he's evil. I had a very weird ex- like deja vu because I swear I didn't read this far, but but also when that scene came, I was like, oh yeah, he does die, doesn't he? Yeah, mm-hmm. it was. And weird. you may have just it might just be one of those things that you kind of picked up by existing in anime fandom, you know? Quite possibly. Yeah. Uh, um, yeah. So it's well. So this is this also gave me flashbacks because. I remembered the way I learned about Miboshi's character is not from the anime. Mm-hmm. Pioneer about 10 million years ago when they were first <laughs> putting out the series and when they were mm-hmm. called Pioneer instead of Genion and yeah. they existed as a company. <laughs> right, and when Genion still existed, children. Um, <laughs> many, they, many eons ago. They had like um, trading cards with character profiles on them. Oh, okay. And, and that is how I learned about Miboshi and how I learned about Soy's backstory. Um, and so watching this, it was like, oh, yeah, that was a thing that existed. There was a period where Pioneer was slash Genion was actually trying to make this happen. Because I, I also had some from X. Oh, <laughs> oh yeah. They, they were throwing in some bonuses, which is kind of neat. I lined up at uh, the booth at Anime Expo to get those cards. <laughs> oh, that's adorable. Memories. Um, yeah, that's all I have on Miboshi, but I think we can definitely talk about Chiriko. Uh, one of the kind of bummers of this stretch of episodes is that, uh, Toski and Chiriko have a pretty cute relationship in the manga that just gets left on the cutting room floor because there's a lot of other stuff there they wanted, they wanted to do instead. Um, but... It's a very intense sequence, and I thought that episode was mm-hmm. surprising. Like, I mean, I think most of the time, obviously, Fushigi Yugi has its quality moments that we we tease it about, but I think most of the time it looks fine. Um, yeah, most that of the episode it, it looks okay. That episode looked good. Uh, yeah, there were a lot of like there were a lot of like pretty fluid like anim- like action sequences. Um, the detail work on the characters' faces, like especially during the death scene, was like intense and it very was very expressive animation. Yeah. It was really expressive. I was going to make a terrible joke that, like, seriously, nobody can put this child out of his misery a little faster. Yeah, it it, it was a lot more intense in the in the anime and the manga. He it's pretty much just like tell everyone thank you. Eh. Um, and here they really they really um, kind of hit hard at the fact that like Chideko put himself through a lot of pain um, in order to yeah. save his friends, which I think he deserves, but. Yeah, it, it's not a bad death scene, but I think the problem is that Chiriko is kind of a non-character in the anime. So, like, yeah. like he talks about 
you know, feeling like he can do this even without his mark, but 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 we never really go into the fact in the anime that part of the reason he didn't feel worthy was because his mark appeared inconsistently. Like, that's not... I wouldn't have noticed it at all if you hadn't brought it up while we were in, in, in while we were recording. So it doesn't, and, and like his relationships to the other characters too. It, I feel like they try to cram it in a lot in the episodes running up to this one, in, especially in the little comedy scenes, but it, it's a lot of too little too late. Like it's a well-executed yeah. scene, but it doesn't feel earned in a lot of I ways. I agree. I agree. Mm-hmm. Um, I was not, like, it did not hit me nearly as hard as, like, Noriko's death, where I was just, like, well, lying yeah. on the couch sobbing. No, Noriko's um, death is devastating. Uh, and, but, like, I was, it was more like, oh, this kiss. is sad. Child dead. Yeah. Like, the, the and, part and again, that it's, really got me was, like, mm-hmm. when um, he was like, oh, you can go on without me. And Mitsukake and Toski were sitting there with him, like, we can stay. We don't. Like, we don't want you to be alone right now. Yeah. It's like, that was what those... got me. Yeah, me too. And I think sometimes you end up with these, and this is and this is true with fiction just because you can't necessarily flesh out every single character. Um, sometimes you have deaths that are impactful and emotional because you were really uh, attached to that character, which we, Noriko would be that. Um, sometimes you have deaths that are emotional because characters you care about are upset. Yeah, I... Toski's um, reactions are pretty yeah. good in that and they're so, like. And so Mitsukake staying with him, even though we can't actually heal him, and Toski being very upset about uh, Chiriko dying and like telling him how brave he is, um, is it? That's where that's where the emotion, that's where the resonance of that scene comes from. Is these characters you like being upset? Yeah, I um, agree. Um, and in that in that sense, I think that I think that the the anime in particular, because you get that in the in the manga, but the manga really kind of rushes through a lot of this stuff. Um, the anime gives these gives these moments time to breathe. Um, and so I think the anime is able to hit that resonance a little bit better um, because mm-hmm. we have some time sort of watching everyone realize this kid's going to die. Um, via and how hard that is on and how hard that is on them. By, by, uh, via what appears to be some kind of internal perforation because he is not bleeding enough to, for it well, to be he's blood holding, loss. He's holding the thing like against his like in his heart. So I'm pretty yeah. sure he just. I'm pretty sure it's heart. St- he stabbed himself with that. I, there's there's an official name for it, and I just can't. I should I should know what that's called, and I don't. And now I feel like shitty that I don't. Uh, I'll look it up at some point. But yeah, he stabs himself with that, and that is, and so that's yeah. He dies from the from it being in his heart. I'm pretty sure, which is which is rough. It 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 is not realistic in any way. Like if he stabbed himself in the heart, he would probably have died a lot faster. Yeah, but then we couldn't um, have a last sad speech. Yeah. One one last thing about Chiriko dying that I did kind of want to talk about, just in terms of um, my memory of this show, is I was much sadder when Noriko died. I was much more surprised when Chiriko died, because I was I, I had read I mean I'd read the Redwall books as a kid. I was not um, I was accustomed to uh, a beloved character dying in adventure stories, um, but it was usually one character. And it was a big emotional moment, and then pretty much everyone else made it. So when Chiriko dies, I there was this sense all of a sudden that like, oh shit, nobody's safe. Oh shit, what if everybody dies? <laughs> um, especially because very shortly after this, they lose. Our, the good guys lose. Um, they don't summon a god. They get their powers sapped. Um, suddenly, at like with Ch- Chiriko dying, my friend and I looked at each other. We were like, oh no, 
who's going to die next? And it became almost like a, like a stealing ourselves guessing game for like who else was screwed. Um, and I, I very much remember that because again, at the time I had, I had read, uh, watched this series, like that wasn't something that really happened in young adult fiction in particular. Right. Was. Like, and, and this is going back to like, well, you know, Fushigi Yugi, part of the draw of it when you're young is it has this edge that not a lot of, uh, fiction that uh mm-hmm. we had encountered before was, well and this uh, willingness to go no when you fuck up there are consequences sometimes really bad ones um and and those those things just happen and you have to find some way to push past them and this kind of recurring theme of like you know you have to give these sacrifices meaning uh comes up again here as miyaka uh runs off to try to stop the ceremony which she does not do I was going to say that might be a good way to um, a good place to segue into talking about Miyaka and Yui in these in the stretch of episodes since we're getting towards uh, the summoning ceremony itself. I, I will say two things. First of all, I'm like mm-hmm. I've been trying to hold really hard to the fact that that y- Miyaka and Yui's relationship is a really good story about friendship, and they're very cute and they're good friends. There is a moment where where I think it's a. Uh, Nakago, somebody is like, well, are you jealous? Are are you jealous of Miyaka or Tamahome that they're together? And I'm mm-hmm. like, all right, are you trying to make me ship it now? Because like, <laughs> like I've been trying to be good, but also, yeah, yeah. It's it, I mean, you wouldn't I think be the, the first one. <laughs> no, and I think within the context of the story, like they they try to make it very clear that this is that it is um a very close friendship and how do you deal with your friend suddenly having this other relationship um, that's very different from yours and Yui kind of feeling like she's been abandoned and Miyaka has chosen Tamahome over her, Mm -hmm. even though from Miyaka's perspective, she loves them an equal amount, just in different ways. Right. Which is, which which is a good and important story that happens. I think a lot to teenagers. I really like that. (laughs) Yeah. Well, and I really (laughs) like that, that, that Fushigi Yugi makes a point of saying, no, these two relationships are equally important to this character because I think you very much get this in a lot of fiction, uh, maybe more so in Western media than in anime. Oh, it is getting rumbly over here. Yeah, I um, heard that loud and clear. Yeah. Uh, again, we're summoning Seryu! <laughs> no! <laughs> um, no, I think you get this more in Western fiction, this idea of, like, you know, the quote-unquote just friends. Mm-hmm. Um, this idea that, like, being more than friends or, like, friendship not being as important. And so I think the fact that Miyaka is trying very hard to do to have both these these very important relationships um is is good and 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 valuable in a in a story that that's also you know this kind of first love mm-hmm. uh, romantic teen drama thing um, definitely yeah uh, uh, the other thing i wanted to say is that in this stretch of episodes i the podcast number one yui cheerleader started to get a little frustrated <laughs> Yeah, no, this is this is Yui, I think, at her most intentionally nasty, um, and it is kind of right before the series and Yui herself start. It's it's like she's pushed herself to this point of, like, I'm a bad guy now, I'm a bad guy now, and then she really does something that's, like, you know, I mean, she just, she just plays and tricks her friend, um, and then sort of immediately after that kind of starts to realize the consequences of this um, very angry sort of hurt um, battle she's been having with her friend. Um, and so, you know, once she starts summoning Saryu, uh, she starts to feel like she's made a, like she's maybe making a mistake. Like, did I really love Tamahome or is this, or am I just upset because Miyaka abandoned me? Yeah. Or because I feel like Miyaka abandoned me. Not even that. Like, I I think 
the 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 traitor thing aside, which is a little is is I think I group sort of under the fuck Lord yet another thing of of forced miscommunication. Fine, whatever. The, well, uh, Miyaka speci- conveniently loses her voice. Uh-huh. Uh huh. I-, I meant specifically the moment where Yui is like lurking under the window while they embrace, like it's a damn scene from Dynasty, and I'm like, oh <laughs> God, come on. Yeah, yeah. The timing of yeah the that convenient. Uh, dramatic timing is is a little eye roll worthy, I think, uh, and sort of frustrating. What what I what I think might be worth taking from that is the fact that Yui appears to have been going over to Miyaka's house to have a conversation with her Aww. finally, uh, oh, and no, and so sad. the fact that she then sees Tamaho, like the fact that she is there, suggests that she came to like check with Miyaka, um, which I think you know again is one of those moments that sort of sort of sneakily tells you, like, how Yui actually feels as the show has been pretty hard at hammering. Like, no, you you do love Miyaka. Um, she is still your best friend, despite Nakago's constant endless gaslighting, and he is... He can feel her pushing away, I think, in this yeah. stretch of episodes, right. and so then he just... He really digs his claws in. Right, like, here's a special memento of me that you can use to talk to me anytime you want. Like, well, and he tells her... And he tells her what, what she what she really wants to hear, which is like, I love you. I'm never going yeah. to abandon you. I trust you. I'm, you know, um, all you need is me basically. Yeah. Like, like, and he, he insulates her. Um, he, oh, he, he manipulates her. Um, and he, he has her convinced that they are in love. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, she, oh, this poor child. Like, and honestly, the amount of fiction I read where there are romances between girls in their teens and uh, adult men mm-hmm. that, mm-hmm. like, honestly, like, treats it like it's it ain't no thing um, yeah. is huge. So I honestly, like, actually kind of appreciate that, like, the genuine romances are between teenagers mm-hmm. and or like any like. Or, like, you know, the honest crushes, where while the, like, romance between, um, and I just did quote, quote, uh, finger quotes, um, between an adult and a teenager is, he is manipulating her for Mm -hmm. his own ends. Like, yeah, he has no genuine interest in her. Yeah, and the series does not play that, that moment where he says, I love you and kisses her, does not play it as romantic like it's in the dark there's all these sort of the the framing in that scene is really good um yeah there's all these kind of like tangled um trellises lattice work like on the windows and it's very much this sense of yui being like caged and trapped and him kind of like pulling her in and it is it is it is ominous it is an ominous scene it is not played as like oh look at this love blossoming between yui and nakago it's not it's not that at all mm-hmm. so give the give the story credit for that absolutely for sure. Yeah, no, it's um, Yui's, for the most part, I, I feel like s- some of those elements of, of Yui's arc are certainly very unusually, daringly handled for the day. Yeah, it's it's a lot better than I, I think I remembered it being. Um, I thought at a certain point Yui kind of went like full cackling villain, and she doesn't. The series does does a very good job of, um, again, sort of sort of not not necessarily 100% excusing everything she does, like when Tamahome leaves after she uh, drugs him, and he's like, I can't, this, is, this was a bad thing you did. Um, I'm sorry. Like, I feel sympathy for you, but this was still a bad thing you did. Um, while still, while still having that sympathy and, and, sh- and like being very upfront about, or 
upfront. Yeah, I guess that's the word uh, for how Nakago is manipulating her and how Miyaka wants to help her get out of this, you know, very toxic, dangerous relationship she's in with this guy who's been lying to her from day one. In the meanwhile, despite Yui's wavering, she does summon Seryu. Uh, as I said, our heroes lose badly, uh, which, again, is pretty wild. Like, that's usually in fiction there are, like, hiccups and roadblocks, but, like, they go into this war and there's very much the sense of, like, welp, we're all screwed. They outnumber us three to one. I guess we're just going to die. This show seems to think that a war is one really big battle where everybody gets on their horses. Like, okay. It, they... It is not, yeah, it is not well depicted. Uh, the they There is sort of like a fort in the background that they're, not, not, I'm not sure what fort is the exact right word, but like a castle town sort of thing um, that they're trying to defend on the border um, that ends up falling. And yeah, it's not, the, the war element is kind of weird. Um, and then, but it's fine. It's all drama anyway. Right. It, uh, it's, it's just there so you can have the dry, dramatic moment where Nakago is entirely overpowered and then they oh my god uh, mm -hmm. well and at that point nobody has abilities so they're riding up against a guy who is like not they can't even like deflect his blows anymore he'll just freaking kill him yeah um which he let's see what happens there he messes up Mitsukake Mitsukake gets like knocked off his horse pretty bad um and then koji thankfully comes along and saves them can i also point out that for some damn reason chichiri is the only one who doesn't get armor and this annoys me <laughs> they yeah, all run the guy now. And he needs armor now and they've all got armor except him for some reason um the in, so in the visual novel it's kind of suggested that like you don't have to be a celestial warrior to have to use like chi abilities so, like, he's not nearly as powerful, but he can still do some stuff. Uh, in the anime, that is not that is not made clear if it's even true at all. So, uh, yeah, he's kind of just a sitting duck out there. I, I, Good thing Ms. Kake jumped in front of that blast with his armor on, I guess, because uh, my boy would have died. Oh. I do feel I, I am a little bit upset at the anime because normally I hate that trope where it's like, no, you have to stay behind. I have to protect you. But, like, in this particular case, Miyaka has no business on that battlefield. <laughs> No. There's a few of them who go out to fight, and I'm like, why are you there? Because, again, my friend and I were sort of like to, the first time I watched this, to kind of deal with our extreme anxiety over the fact that our, our these characters we loved might die, uh, specifically Toski and Chichiri. We started almost like taking bets on who was going to go down next. And we figured Hotohori <laughs> would be okay, because, and we'll talk about Hotohori in a minute, but we figured he'd be okay because he'd be at the palace. Uh, we figured Mitsukaku would be like in a, in a, like, like in a wounded tent, and he'd be fine. Um, but then, like, he rides out, he rides into, like, to the front lines, too, and I'm like, this seems like a mistake, Dr. Man. Yeah, you, Ms. Kake has never been a fighter. No, but he, but he puts on armor, he gets armor, and goes, sorry, I don't know why I'm hung up on that, but I'm hung up on that. Um, but, okay, so a couple of things I did want to talk about, uh, in this last stretch of episodes before we go back to the real world, which, um, then we'll, we'll touch on that a little bit, too. Uh, the first is that, uh, as I just mentioned, Hotohori is back in uh, the game. Welcome back, Hotohori. Um, You're bearable now. Getting yeah. laid seems to have mellowed him out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and when uh, they lose their powers, his first response to Miyaka is, Hey, why don't you try getting laid too? <laughs> He's like, Miyaka, do you and Tom? He's, he seems genuinely supportive of the two of their, their relationships. So 
kudos Hotahori on getting over that, I suppose. Finally. Um, he's still, okay, he's still a bad emperor, you guys, because at the very <laughs> end of this stretch of episodes, he's like, I'm going to go lead the army from the front lines. And I'm like, that is a terrible idea, leader of the country, yeah. who currently does not have an heir. Right. So um, you're just going to create a power vacuum by trying to showboat is what you're saying. Yeah. Um, you all, and once again, dude, you don't have powers. You're the leader of the country. You need to not die. Like, yeah. it'd be one thing <laughs> if it was like, it'd be one thing if it was like the enemy is at the gates of the capital. They have stormed their way to the capital. And Hildahori was like, welp, once more into the breach, um, I bid you stand, men of the West. They may take our lives, but they'll never take our independence day. <laughs> Uh, had he had, had he, he could, you know, there could be a rousing, like, we're doomed moment at that point. But he, like, but they're not at the palace yet. And he, like, is like, I'm going to go to the front lines. And I'm like, please don't. Please don't. That's a mistake. Yeah, please, uh, please, like, do not abandon your new wife and the, con- and the country. You're like, your new wife who has only been running the country for a couple of months. Oh, uh, my God. But. Oh my yeah, let's God. talk about rebound. Let's talk about rebound, Empress Vry. You sound like you want to talk about rebound, Empress. I don't think I'm actually mad at Hotori. I think I'm mad at you, Watase. Yeah, no, that's Look, probably fair. If only, if only Nariko had been possessed of a vagina, perhaps Hotori would have learned to love them. Fuck you. Uh, yeah, like yeah, it's shitty. Um, there is. I don't want to get into this too much because. Well, the big thing here is, like, they get home and it's like, oh, by the way, I got married. <laughs> Completely Cheers. Off, off stage to this character um, who is a non-character. None of you have ever met this character. You know nothing about this character. Actually, um, there is a light novel that fills in all of the gaps there. Uh, I won't get into it too much here because one of the OVAs does actually tell part of that story. Mm-hmm. Um, the one element I will bring up is that Hoki and Noriko were friends in the, uh, in the palace harem. Uh, they they met and were buddies, and um, their relationship is really cute. Aww. Because Hoki has, like, no interest in Hotahori. And so, um, and then the fact that they look, that they, they realize how much they look alike. Um, and Hoki's just, like, a farm girl who got dragged into this kind of against her will, uh, which was not super uncommon um, mm. when creating harems at the time. Um, but Noriko kind of kind of looks after her because she's she's much more na- naive than Noriko is, and yeah, it's it's cute. Um, Noriko sends throughout their throughout their their travels with the with the warriors, like in um, as they head towards Hokan and when they're running around the country, Noriko sends letters back to Hoki, and so Hoki like gets to kind of follow along on on, on their adventure. Um, it's it's a sweet relationship. So mm-hmm. see, that's all kind yeah. of so nice. But but this it is, is here though. She doesn't have any character, so she's literally no. just. What if Noriko no, had been a cis girl? Yeah, yeah. No, I I like Hoki because of some of the supplementary material that eventually gets uh, written for her. But mm-hmm. at, as of right as of this point in the anime, it's like wh- who what the hell? <laughs> yeah, who are you? And and like you said, like if only Noriko had had a vagina, <laughs> uh, which is some which is some bullshit. Well, and maybe I'm extra ad- mad because of that author's note you posted in, in our Slack chat. Uh-huh. Which, my god, you Watase. Yeah, uh, let, I wonder if I can sum this up for the readers. Um, basically, Watase, uh, it's it's very it's very cringe-inducing in, in a lot of ways, and, and I think it's indicative of a mentality in the mid-90s uh, in particular. Um where Watase's like, yeah, I initially made Noriko gay for comic relief, and then I realized it, that they were actually a person, and this was, like, a legitimate character trait. And I'm like, wow, okay, uh, that's rough. Um, and then and there's, then like... And goes on to talk about, like, um, 
I guess you'd consider it something like it's not really homosexual love since Noriko sees themselves as a woman, so or, it's or like specifically, love, which was the term at the time. Yeah, but. like specifically, they they well actually they they loved Hotohori as a woman, so I guess it was more of yeah. No, uh, you don't under you don't. No, <laughs> Watase has no idea what uh, what she is uh, yeah. attempting or doing with Noriko's character. That's that's really the sense that you get from that author's note. Is like Watase doesn't really know anything about uh, queer issues and probably didn't do much research beforehand, other than maybe like a handful of manga that were probably not super educational. Yeah, like this <sighs> is all pretty typical for the it time. is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, I mean, but it's one of those things where it's like, I think it's I think it is. Um, relevant from a historical perspective but it makes it tough to pass the story forward in time it you know it, it dates it in in a way that is noticeable and 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 kind of kind of painful so like, if it, if we were still in 1992 i guess you could say how nice that you watase created a stereotype character and realized that the gays are people too but it's 2017 and i'm tired yeah uh yeah, it's it's yeah, it's that it's that very difficult line between like the historical context of something versus the versus how well it it holds up in a modern context yeah. and it's that and in that modern context not so much, which we've talked about at length Definitely, uh, before, yeah. but yeah. but it it rears its head a little bit here too. Mm-hmm. Um one other thing happens before they before they go to war and then get sucked back to the real world, which I I kind of wanted to talk about, and that is that Miyaka and Tamahome um decide that well, maybe we should just like bang Fuck. now that we can uh let's do it um and i i really like that scene it's, yeah, nice. it's actually it's really nice sweet it's very so first of all i like that um tom homey kind of admits he's like i know this is this is like terrible and selfish of me but in a way i'm kind of glad that you get to stay here and we can like consummate and like get married and consummate our relationship and he's like this is a dumb thing to talk about before a battle i should leave and i like that miyaka instigates it she's like no stay i want us to I want us to spend the night together. I want us to fuck. Um, yeah. I mean, basically, again, Nyaka's thirsty. And we'll talk about that a little bit later, too, because it's kind of wonderful. Um, I like that. And then I think the scene of them almost having sex and then something goofy happening and then going, you know what? Let's wait. This, is, this isn't the best time. Let's yeah. just go to sleep. It was just very it's, sweet. Right. It's very cute, and it's very honest, and I think it, I think it feels a lot like, you know, awkward teenagers, like, trying to sort of figure out how to do the sex. Yeah, well, um, and, and also the idea, like, I think there's an idea in romance that all times when you when you start having sex, you must do the sex, and it will be good and amazing, mind-blowing. No, sometimes. No. Sometimes, sometimes you just decide, you let's get, not. Yeah, sometimes you don't even get started because somebody's stomach growls very loudly and, and just Tomahome just laughing and being like, Oh, that's adorable. It's fine. I'm it's fine. Let's just let's just go to sleep. It's um, nice. Yeah, it is. It's a nice it's a nice moment. Yeah, like it's it, it's very sweet and affectionate. I don't know, like and just like the art in that moment and the way they were sort of drawn together, um was very like pretty and like had a very like intimate feeling to it i don't mm-hmm. know it, it sort of everything came together for that scene it did well and, and again i think when we talk about um in the context of again and i mean i caitlin i know you're with me on this one too i love shoujo manga i love the genre uh but you get a lot of relationship sequences where um the girl kind of gets pressured into it or sex just isn't talked about period um and so to have a female character who is, you know, proactive about 
being attracted to somebody and wanting to be with them. Um, Generally speaking, there's a lot of like the boy pressure pressures her. She's like, oh no, but then like in she's like, oh, I actually really want this, and it's like, boy, there could not be a less healthy lesson in that one. <laughs> and um, that is, and that is, an uh. That's baked very much into uh, Japanese fiction in general, like going back to the Heian era. Yeah, um, is this idea that like uh, it was it was considered almost like like in the in the great elaborate. I, sorry, I did I read I read so much about the Heian era, so I have this useless. I have all this information that I'm now going to share some of with you. Uh, there was in this sort of elaborate uh, courtship game that was played at the time. Um, it was like the women, the woman was not supposed to seem too like eager or it was considered like a turnoff, which is shitty for a lot of reasons. And uh, Tale of Genji actually, in a, it sort of accidentally touches on the reasons that's shitty and it's shitty for both. It's shitty for both parties, truthfully. Um, but so this, but this idea of like uh, the woman kind of, um, not not being into it, but then but then but then actually being into it and and going for it like at the last second is is baked very much into uh, the literature. Again, going back to like the 900s at least, maybe further back than that, but definitely the that Heian era. And then you'll you see it in in Edo period literature as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so it it actually is kind of a big deal that Watase goes. No, my my uh, this girl i have written is dtf sexually is dtf she is sexually active she likes this guy and she wants to she wants to have sex with him um and she will and she will make the first move um and i i appreciate that quite a bit about about this stretch of episodes mm-hmm. um but they end up not they end up not they just they just go to sleep and toski finds them uh, curled up together the next morning which is a bit awkward for him but it's amusing uh and then they go to war and then Yui sends them home, and Tamahome comes with them, which doesn't seem like it should happen, but it does, so that's cool. Um, because of something, something emotional plot logic. Be- Listen, again, it's shoujo. The uh-huh. answer is feelings. Yeah. The answer is always feelings. <laughs> it's always uh, feelings. You know what? Fine. Like, and I'm, and I'm, I'm fine, okay with really. this. I'm really, I'm okay yeah. with it. It's whatever. Yeah. It's feelings. And yeah. you know what? I love that kind of plot contrivance, so I was totally cool with it. Yeah, I'm 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 on board. Um, yeah, I really we get so this this stretch of episodes is like action packed, and then we get that, then they get back to the real world, and we get a little bit of a breather, which is nice because it's going to get action packed again next week. Uh, just heads up, folks. Um, oh, well, I'd hope so. Next week is I, the finale, so yeah. So you would expect the finale to be action packed, and it, it definitely is. Um, I don't. Re- I did not really have much of a memory of that episode of them first getting back to the real world. I love that episode. <laughs> Uh, it's Keisuke is so good. He is so good. He he kind He's of the became best the brother. audience surrogate character somewhere along the line. Oh, absolutely. Um, by virtue of, of reading the the story the same way we were. Um, so he yeah he has that he has like that fanboy moment when he meets Tamahome, and then he gets really excited when he realizes he's all he's written in the book. He's like I'm in the book, yay! <laughs> <laughs> um, and you know it's also it's interesting because he. He doesn't. He didn't know what Tamahome looked like. No, that's true. He did not. He like so when he sees Tamahome, he's like, "Oh my god, you're even cooler than I imagined!" <laughs> like, th- like this is his first time making visual contact with this guy. All he's had is like these sketchy, old-fashioned mm-hmm. line drawings in the book. Um, 
So it's like a big fanboy moment for him. Mm-hmm. Well, and he's so like when you think about Big Brothers in media in general, um, but definitely in anime, uh, they're usually they're either evil or they're like overprotective. And Keisuke is like really cool with Tamahome being with Miyako. Like he's he like he te- like he gives them he teases them, but it's very loving. Uh, like when Miyaka comes in to, to give Tamahome a kiss good morning and Keisuke's in bed with him. <laughs> so nice. Hey there, newlyweds. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, like he's he's pretty sweet and like wants the two of wants the best for the two of them and is trying to help them out. Um when he gives Tamahome a makeover and Miyaka about loses her mind. Um, <laughs> one, of, one of my favorite moments in the story, which and it was a moment I had completely forgotten was in the story. Uh, but it was, again, it was one of those really fun moments that I don't think you see a lot of in fiction where, um, a female character is like super turned on by how good her boyfriend looks. Uh, and I, I just kind of liked it. And I thought it was cute that Keisuke was all excited about giving Tamahome a makeover. Yeah. Like, yeah. Keisuke is just, he's a sweet, sweet boy who just wants his little sister to be happy. And Mm -hmm. You know, since he's been reading the book this whole time, like, he's seen, like, how genuine Tamahome is. Like, he knows he doesn't have to fight him off. He knows that he doesn't have, like, ill intent towards his little sister. Mm-hmm. But also, he's just, like, throughout the whole series, he's so consistently supportive to Miyaka. Like, mm-hmm. um, you know, I still remember in the first episode where we meet him, Miyaka's telling him this, like, crazy shit, and the look on his face is just like, what are you talking about? But mm-hmm. he doesn't sit there and tell her she's crazy. He's no. like, he's like, okay. So this assuming is this is true. Yeah. Okay. How are we going to respond to this? Mm-hmm. So yeah, like, I don't know. He's just so sweet. Um, and there's a real sense that like he and Tamahome could be friends. Mm-hmm. Um, hey, remember when we could have big brothers in anime without a brother complex? the good old days uh, uh yeah i remember those days. i want more anime like that <laughs> me too i want more loving and supportive familial relationships mm-hmm. in my anime yes uh, that yeah. sounds that sounds lovely uh more of that for sure so yeah so that last, last episode's mostly a breather um it gives us some time to kind of have fun with keisuke and tamahome in the real world um there is some trouble on the horizon uh, at some point, they are going to have to let Tamahome know he is a character in a book. Uh, they keep it from him this week. Again, I thought we'd covered this, but sure, fine, whatever. In in this one in this one instance, I understand why they're not trying to explain it to him yet because he's already been like z- zipped out of his own world into this new world. He's got culture shock. Um, they don't have the book with them, so it's a lot harder to explain without, like, the actual, um, without the words in front of them. So I kind of, I understand Keisuke's reasoning of, like, let's, we'll ease him into it once we have the book, then we can kind of explain and, and he can see it and but, have the but proof there. But shouldn't Keisuke know that Yui already confronted Tamahome with this fact? Uh, yes. Maybe. Hmm. But, like I said, Probably? Like, I mean, like I, he should, I but think, also, whatever. I think, like, it, she Tetsuya mentioned might have been it, reading the book they at that never point. really explained it, so it just sort of... It's probably something that has been, like, way in the back of his mind, but not something that yeah. he's really tried to ex- figure out what exactly she meant. Yeah, yeah and also, I, I don't know that. if... Did he talk about Miyako with that? Or talk about that with Miyako? 
Or did he just... He, I don't she know asked what was wrong and he changed the subject because. Yeah, so she doesn't, she doesn't know how much he knows. No, Miyaka has, Miyaka doesn't know. Um, so yeah, in this, in this instance, I kind of understand that, but I think it is, it is, you know, worth, worth noting that Tamahome still doesn't know. So that will probably come as a shock to him when it does finally happen. Uh, <laughs> there's also some foreshadowing in the book that Nakago might be coming to this world. Thank you, Tetsuya, for le- for reading the foreshadowing to Keisuke and letting us know that might be that might be on the horizon. Yeah, he wants to be like a god, you know, because there was not already enough uh, overpowered Nakago, right? I was gonna say because Nakago does not feel like he has he has all of the power yet. So, which I mean, it's very true to Nakago's character. From what we know of him, is he's very much about power and control. So. Him wanting to become a god fits with that. God, but also, uh, it's a shit. very boring motivation. Yeah, it is. And it I like is. that. I find it amazing that Yui's that when Yui's like, "Hey, I'll save you a wish since you've been helping me out all this time. What's your wish?" And he says, "I want to be a god." She doesn't go, "What?" Right. She kind of just takes it in stride. Like, well, have you never read point. a book, Yui? <laughs> You're God, I actually, I just remembered something that I wanted to talk about. Like, I thought about I wanted to talk about it while I was watching the episode, but then I forgot until just this moment. Okay. The Mm -hmm. moment where Miyaka summons Seiryu, um, and he's like, I will now couple with you, and you will get your three wishes. Um, And, like, it's not like he, like, actually, like, you know, bones down with her. But, like, when he enters her, it's, like, her body language, like, her fingers curl and, like, it's like, oh, okay, like, this is very much a metaphor for sex right here. Uh, this is Yui having her first orgasm. Uh, like, uh, and I just thought that was sort of uh, an interesting thing, um, considering, like, the way that the gods and sex have interplayed throughout the series. Well, and it kind of comes back to that idea of, like, the priestess needing to be pure. Yeah, uh, exactly. Because she's, like, giving herself to the god. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, yeah. it's What's up, virginity fetish? <laughs> uh, can I be incredibly foul for a second here? I wish you would. Sure, why uh, not? The gods do not want any sloppy seconds. <laughs> I was thinking it, and I'm glad you said it. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah. <laughs> You're not. You're Which is not a horrible wrong. thing to say. It's a horrible, horrible. thing. Yes, but, but also sometimes you just gotta be a little foul, right? My life. <laughs> <laughs> hey, when, when you are right, you are right. So, um, no, but like, yeah, like obviously there's nothing wrong with having sex with more than one person. I think we've life. covered no. that this book, <laughs> that this show's sexual politics are kind of a it, hot the, mess. It, yeah, well, the, and again, there's there's these we have these really good moments like Miyaka and Tamahome's um, scenes this week, and then we have then we have these uh, these kind of like gross implications with the gods that maybe Watase did not think fully through. Um, by the way, uh, Miboshi's spindle is called a prayer wheel. It is a uh, okay. That's what I thought it might have been. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's a prayer wheel. So I feel I feel better now. Sorry, it was bothering me that I that I did not know what that was. Um, he's, he's a bad priest. Um, yes, I feel, yes. Sorry, also, I took us completely off topic, but I, I wanted to no, get but that it, in. It does, it does <sighs> give us an opportunity to mention the single worst out of context, uh, 
screen cap ever. Oh, God. The subtitle team. Okay, so <laughs> let's set the stage by saying that in the manga, the line is... Um, Children in particular, children are particularly easy to control, I believe, or children are particularly easy to possess. Uh, when I was playing the visual novel, I translated it as children are particularly easy to control. Um, in the subtitles, the line is children are particularly easy to enter. <laughs> and then I and then I, I threw my head into into my palms and I buried it so deep. Um, <laughs> I just, I just hid in the couch. You buried uh, it so deep, you look like the My Hero Academia villain. Yes. <laughs> Good reference, Caitlin. Uh, um, yeah, in the dub, it was uh, easier to dominate. That doesn't help! That also, doesn't help. Not, not great. Not not great dub, but, I mean, better. But not great. <laughs> is it? Is it? Yeah. Is it better? Phrasing. Oh, phrasing, folks. Yeah, yeah. I wonder we're if there's like a translator somewhere who's like, oh no. <laughs> Still, like, to this day, they think about that line and they're like, oh no. <laughs> what did I do? Uh, yeah. Mistakes were made. Mistakes were, mistakes were made, and, and now we have to live with those mistakes in subtitle form for, I guess, ever. Yep. Unless someday, unless someday Funimation or somebody decides to redub and resubtitle it, which does happen, it turns out with shows. So who knows? I don't think it's gonna happen with Tuchigi Yugi. With all hey, the kindness in my heart, I sincerely all doubt it. Our watch along could spark a Fushigi Renaissance and Byako and the Byako <laughs> manga too. You know, all I'm saying is maybe we're maybe we're starting a movement here. Um, well. Fujikomine did slightly respark an interest in Lupin in the United States, so I guess there's precedent. I feel yes. your pain is what I'm saying. I mean, it, <laughs> it, it, it respawned an interest in Lupin in Japan. It too. It, re it revived a stagnating franchise. God, the mm -hmm. TV specials. We can't do that. We can't do that. I can do that all day. Okay. <laughs> well, yeah. We'll we'll have a we'll have a Fujikomine podcast. We we swear that's something we'll do. Um, <laughs> But today, today is not that day. Uh, I, I mean, we got, we got through all of, all of the things, you guys. We, we ran a little late, but that's all right. Um, People like it when we talk too much, right? Well, it balances out because last week we were really struggling to find things to talk about. I don't think, I'm not sure we made it an hour last week, so uh, it balances yeah, out this way. Last week we were a little short. Um, the Badlands. But were yeah, bad. that gets us. The Badlands were bad. Um, and now we're we're back into some some engaging, entertaining again. There's some bullshit to wade through, but that's that's par for the course. It wouldn't be Fushi uh, Yugi without at least a little bullshit. Yeah, it's yeah. there's it's the sweet and the sour yeah, for sure. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that that takes us up to the end of the episodes we watched. Do you guys are there any other comments, uh, critiques, things you wanted to call out? Fun 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 jokes. Koji was really good. Koji I'm was so good glad Koji's back. I love Koji. He uh, he's another one of those characters, kind of like Koki, who gets fleshed out in the light novels a little bit, and I I like him a whole lot. So it's 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 nice that it's nice that Toski has a Toski has a boyfriend who uh, comes to help him in in dire in dire straits. Yay! So. Yay, Toski! I wish the two of you nothing but happiness. Yay! <laughs> I think okay. that's all. <laughs> <laughs> that's all we just out, D. we just needed to remind everyone that the, the trash bandits are good boys mm -hmm. yes mm -hmm. um okay i'll i'll play us out then 
Uh, okay, folks, that's a wrap for this week's watch along. If you're following along at home, the next Fushigi Yugi podcast will cover episodes 47 through 52, also known as the furious finale, the captivating climax, the dramatic denouement. The last time I get to only watch six episodes instead of like 20. Well, it's the last pod. Next week will be the end of the TV series, at least. Uh, we still have a basket full of OVAs to tackle. And we will be tackling them. But uh, for now, just focus on the first series ending, uh, where I'm positive everyone will hug it out and let bygones be bygones, and it'll be fine, right? Uh, we'll have a nice, chill final six episodes here. Mm -hmm. uh, okay, if you enjoyed this episode of Chatty AF, we'd love it if you'd tell your friends or leave a nice review for us on iTunes. And if you really liked what you heard, please consider tossing a dollar or more to our Patreon each month. Your support goes a long way towards making Anime Feminist happen, both in print and in your earbuds. If you're interested in more from the team and our contributors, please check us out at www.animefeminist.com, on Facebook at Anime Fem, on Tumblr at Anime Feminist, and on Twitter at Anime Feminist. And that's the show. Thanks for listening, Annie Fam. Stay away from any floating babies, and we'll catch you next time. See you. <laughs>